The title for the message this morning is The Stooping Savior. The Stooping Savior. And I'm gonna, we're going to read eventually verses 1 through 15, but I'm going to hold off reading for a second. But let's, let's not postpone praying together for this morning's message. So would you join me in praying, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege that we have as believers to, to come before you, to read your word, and to do so realizing that you are at work in a powerful way. And that there's something extraordinary, something divine, something supernatural that takes place as we read and study your word together. So that's our expectation We pray that by your spirit that you would accomplish those things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine with me for a second that a trusted physician of yours had informed you that you were going to die. It's a disease, he said. It will come quickly, spread rapidly, and it's always fatal. But by the way, not before it inflicts upon you a pain that can only be described as torturous. And oh, by the way, you have a week to live. And so you call a meeting of your closest friends. There are 12 of them, to be exact. And they're seated around you, looking expectantly upon you. And you look at them and you realize they are your friends. They are your mates. You have lived together, worked together, walked together, laughed together, sweat together, wept together, been in the foxhole together. And it's been that way for a number of years. And this is the last time you will be together. And you want to convey to them the depth of your love for them. You want to convey for them and capture for them the essence of this epic quest that you've been on. You want to mark the moment in some way that stamps your love and your life upon their existence for the rest of their lives. So I guess my question is, what do you say in that moment? What would you do in that moment? Now, if you can wrap your brain around that picture, then you can begin to comprehend the context of John chapter 13. This is a section of scripture that John Calvin described as, quote, the last act of Christ's life. And let's begin reading what that last act is in chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to read four verses first. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, let's just stop there for a second. 
I mean, this just raises the, makes you begin to wonder, what in the world is he rising for? I mean, is Jesus going to preach on sin? Is he going to preach on loyalty? Is he going to talk to them about stupidity? I mean, with this group, with this group, you got a lot of different places you could go, potentially. Is he going to go ballistic? Is he going to re- rebuke Peter for his weakness? Is he going to slug Judas so hard that he spits out Satan in that moment? What's he going to do. Well, here's what we're about to discover as we read on, and that is that Christ's desire to love meant that he stooped to serve. Christ's desire to love meant that he stooped to serve. Let's plug in in verse 4 where we left off. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward... You will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Now think about what's happening for a second. Christ was about to die But he desired to love them to the end. That's where this whole passage starts. Verse 1. He wanted to love them to the end. And so he begins to act out this mysterious lesson that is supposed to say something really important to them. It's supposed to say something about the very reason he came to earth and the very reason he was leaving the earth. It was supposed to say something to them about how they were supposed to live in his absence. And so to get his point across, he stands up and he wraps himself in a towel and he stoops to wash their feet and he becomes the stooping savior. Now, why did he do that? Why that? I mean, if he wanted to love them to the end, why not just set up trust funds or something like that? You know, he's got all the power in heaven on earth. And so why not give them a long life and good health 
or give them the foresight to know who's going to win every Super Bowl? Why doesn't he give them something that's going to be practical, something that's going to make a tangible difference each and every day of their life? Why this stooping Savior? And by the way, what does that have to, what does this scene have to do with how I live with my roommates or whether I should obey my parents or what kind of employee I am at work or how I respond when my service is overlooked or my friends are ignoring me. What does this have to do with my life? And why does a desire to love result in God getting his knees dirty? What's this all about? Well, I've got two answers to that question of why did God stoop to serve? Two answers. And these are the two things that are really gonna, we're going to focus on during the entire message. Two things. First is Jesus doing this portrays the gospel, portrays the gospel, and secondly, supplies an example. Portrays the gospel, supplies an example. So let's talk first about this idea of portraying the gospel. Because when we look at what Jesus did here in John chapter 13, I mean, a fleeting glance at this story can lead us to think that this is nothing more than a, than a charming example of, of humility and service. I mean, let's give it up for the Lord because of his stunning kindness, because of his generous spirit. What an example he is for us to follow. He takes his place right next to Mother Teresa and Gandhi and Bono, you know, whoever comes to your mind. Well, he, he is certainly an example, and we are going to talk about that in the second point, but that's not the most important point. The most important point is that this story is a metaphor of the gospel itself. Let's look at it again, beginning in verse 4. He rose from the table. He rose from supper. See, now that's not just Jesus doing something abstractly or randomly, it signifies our Savior in heaven, an event that took place in the heavenlies where Jesus rises from his heavenly place, rises from his heavenly throne. And then it goes on to say in verse 4, he laid aside his outer garments. Is this starting to make sense to you? Where Jesus lays aside in heaven to come to earth, being portraying the incarnation where Jesus laid aside the garments of his glory. Jesus laid aside the garments of the honor that he, he experienced in heaven. He laid aside the prerogatives of deity to come to earth to take on flesh. When we sing at Christmas, Hark the Herald, we sing, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. That's, what, that's what's being talked about here. That's what's being alluded to here. Jesus is not only, not only doing the incarnation, but he's reminding them. It's almost a sacrificial or, or sacramental moment that's taking place here. You may remember when we studied Philippians 2, how have this mind in yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. See, 
That's what's taking place here. He's, he's walking through the same thing that has happened throughout his life. And next comes the Tao. He says he, he, he rose, he laid aside his outer garments and took a towel and tied it around his waist. Now, back then, proper etiquette, proper health standards for them to be observed, the guests that would come into the house would need to have their feet washed. And, and this was always done by servants within the home. And this is what you need to know. This was the lowliest job within the home. I mean, cleaning toilets was a promotion from this job. And you praised God when you got the cleaning toilets job because that meant you were no longer on feet duty. In fact, this task was so demeaning that only slaves could do it. And a Hebrew slave who was there because he was, inde- he was indebted could not do it. So only the lowest of slaves could do it. Only a servant could do it. Now back to Philippians chapter 2. Taking the form of a servant, he humbled himself. Do you see it? Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is enacting, just another way to say acting out. He's, he's acting out his life story. He's acting out his gospel message. And it is a message of sacrificial love. See, what we learn from John chapter 13 is that true love stoops to serve. That's what true love does. True love stoops to serve. Now, that's not the only thing, because there's another part to this story. In other words, it's not simply portraying the gospel, but also it's it's illustrating one of the most common responses to the gospel, and it does so, the story does so in the story of Peter. Look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but... Afterward, you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if, you do, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head as well. See, this is just, this is just a great picture into the, the macho chaos of the disciple named Peter. Like, I think Simon Peter is set in Scripture to encourage those of us that are strong, emphatic, and clueless. That's why he's here. This guy had a life motto of speak first, think eventually. That was, that was Peter. That was his life. That was how he rolled. Matthew chapter 16, one minute he's confessing Christ. He's saying to Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. Next minute he's acting in a way that Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Welcome to a day in the life of Peter. Oracle of God in one moment, voice of Satan in the next. Welcome to a day in the life of Peter. And and he was one of these guys that was just large, larger than life. And all of life was a stage for him. And so that's why when the Lord comes to wash his feet and the Lord is like beginning, he said, Lord, you shall never. And, you know, I I think I think Peter actually used 
big gestures like that because it was never for Peter just about addressing one person. It was always about addressing the audience, addressing the disciples that were around him. So, you know, the Lord comes to kneel down and wash the Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And he's looking around, never wash my feet. And, and the Lord's just saying, no, Peter, come on. Listen, could you chill out for a second? I mean, if, you, if I don't do this, you have no part of me. And so Peter says, well, then, Lord, not my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And, he, you know, he's just, he's just about making sure everybody knows what he thinks. Every, and Jesus is saying, oh, would you please take a chill pill, Peter? Would you just relax? And the disciples are all around. They're rolling their eyes, wondering when the drama is going to end. That's Peter. But you know what? Peter represents us all. See, Peter wants to be seen as strong. He doesn't need God's help. He doesn't need Christ's cleansing. Peter likes to think of himself as all in, the most loyal of disciples. In fact, in Matthew chapter 25, he says to Jesus, though all fall, Jesus informs him, that, some, that they're going to fall away. Someone's going to deny him. Someone's going to betray him. He says, they'll all fall away. I won't fall. I'm unique. All of that happens just hours before Peter falls away. See, Peter is a proud sinner, just like me, just like you. He doesn't want to see himself as weak. He doesn't like to see himself as weak. He doesn't want to think that he can't contribute to this whole cleansing thing, to this whole coming back to God thing, because he sees himself as valiant, as loyal, though he's only a rooster crow away from denying the Savior. He's only a rooster crow away of thinking that he's going to stand and finding that just like everybody else, he falls. Peter's one of these guys who never, never was apprehensive about helping other people because that would position him to be the Savior. To, he liked being the Savior himself. He, didn't, he just didn't want to need a Savior himself. Wanted to be the Savior, not need a Savior. Can you relate to that at all? Jesus nails him by saying, you know what, if I don't do this, you have no part of me. You have no share with me. In other words, Peter, it's all me. It's all me. See, this is a guy who thought he needed to improve his life to save his soul. Only to learn that this whole cleansing work was God's work and God's work alone. That Peter could add nothing. That all of Peter's enthusiasm, all of his big personality could not get him down the road any further with God. He needed Jesus' cleansing alone. Augustine once said of this section of Scripture, quote, Proud man would have perished had not a lowly God found him. You know, I remember this being one of the hardest things to come to terms with when I was thinking about serving Jesus. I mean, I'm talking about 30-some years ago, but I remember this vividly because my pride wouldn't allow me to receive a free gift. My pride didn't seem to want to let me surrender my contribution. I was Peter. I mean, Jesus stooping to cleanse me and saying, not me, Lord. No, no, not me. 
well, you can have no part with me. Well, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm a strong guy. See, I wanted to help pay the price by giving Jesus a a better version of myself. You know, I kind of wanted to buff and polish my life up to make sure that what I presented Jesus was somehow worthy of Jesus, you know? Clean it all up so you can show it to God like a, like a freshly painted car that, that sparkles with how important you are, sparkles with how special you are. But I was missing the hard reality that sin had polluted me. And what's more, it made, made me unable to clean myself. And this is what I had to learn. Well, to stick with the metaphor, clean cars don't need washed, do they? It's dirty cars that need washed. Saints don't need a Savior, do they? It's, it's sinners that need a Savior. So in John chapter 13, Peter is learning the same lesson that I had to learn, that he couldn't clean himself. He needed to be cleaned by another. And in fact, if you peer closely at the disciples in John chapter 13, you realize they're nothing more than just this assembly of sinners. There's pride and deceit and cowardice and greed and selfish ambition. A, A brutally honest representation of every man and every woman. And yet Jesus comes to them. Jesus kneels before them. Jesus turns back the pride in their hearts that would deny them access to him, and he overcomes their stubborn refusal to move toward him. It was a glorious demonstration of true love, a true love that chose people to be saved, a true love that pursued them, a true love that overcame their stubborn opposition, a true love that stooped to serve. And so first and primarily, Jesus stooped to portray the gospel, to set in Scripture this illustration of the gospel that would remind us of Jesus and what he accomplished on our behalf each and every time we stooped. So that's the first point, to portray the gospel. And then secondly is to supply an example, to supply an example. You know, one of the coolest things about that occurs when, when reading the Bible is, that, is when Jesus interprets his own words or Jesus interprets his own actions. And that's exactly what happens in this story. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. An example that we might do it for one another, just as Jesus has done it for us. So what exactly is this example that's held out for us? 
in this passage of Scripture that we are supposed to follow? Well, first, I think it's an example to serve sacrificially. An example to serve sacrificially. See, part of what makes this illustration, part of what makes his example, part of what makes this story so compelling is when it happens. I mean, verse 1 says it all. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knows that the devil is there in verse 2. He's he's occupying the heart of of Judas Iscariot. He knows the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. See, all of that is Bible speak for Jesus knew he was about to be tortured and then murdered. I mean, there would have been no surprise if we had read in this text, but Jesus rose, remembered the cross, and sat back down because he was a little overwhelmed with all that was about to take place in the next week. But here's what makes his example so sacrificial. The presence of a cross didn't spring him from serving. The presence of suffering didn't even spring him from serving. Didn't spring him from grabbing a towel, assuming the lowliest position in the house, and serving those he loved. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, when, when someone is asked to serve, they, they need to sit down. They need to count the cost to themselves, to their family, if they have a family. They need to pray and ask God. But, but you know, if you're anything like me, the problem is not that I give too much. That, that's, that's rarely the problem for me. My problem is I think of creative ways that I can discover to protect myself from having to sacrifice, to protect my assets, to protect my life, to protect my comforts. I mean, you you saw the card that was on on the seats when you walked in. You know, my temptation is to look at a card like this and say, okay, well, what's the minimum here? Where's the greeting role Because I know I can do the greeting thing for about 15 minutes a month, and I can log log the service. And by the way, that's not to discourage people that want to sign up for greeting and thank God for greeters. I'm more making a point that we need to think harder and deeper about Christ's example and exactly what he's saying and when he's saying it. You know, I want to say something that's going to seem simple, but as you ponder it, I want to make sure you don't dismiss it. Here's what I want to say. That, that serving is serving because it's serving. Serving is serving because it's serving. Wow, that's really good, Dave. Can we wrap it up now? No. In other words, to qualify for service, to qualify as service, as biblically defined, there's got to be some kind of sacrifice involved. Because when Jesus defines service, it's not simply giving out of convenience. I mean, this is coming in the worst moment of his earthly life. And he's taking the lowliest position. And he's wrapping a towel around himself. It's, it's, it's serving. 
See, serving is not serving because it's easy. Serving is not serving because it's seen by other people and applauded by other people. Serving is not serving because it's convenient. Serving is serving because it's, it's serving because there's a degree of sacrifice because, because it sometimes steals our time away from us. You know, if you're like me, you operate with a kind of 11th commandment which says, protect thy time at all costs. Protect and control thy time. But there's nothing that's convenient about serving. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to serve. I mean, Christ is not sitting there with an iPhone saying, okay, let me see. Yeah, I can fit in Oh, foot washing right before supper. I'll do it then. Yeah, okay, I can just fit it in there and then be on my way. I mean, you can't read verses 1 through 3 coming away unaware that this was a busy guy. He had a lot of things on his mind. He had a cross coming, but still he served. He had pressures mounting, but still he served. There was tortures that awaited him, but still he serves. There were goals, heavenly goals, eternal goals that needed to be fulfilled, but still he served. So he comes to us, not just in a general sense as a servant, but as an example of serving sacrificially, and then turns to us and say, now you go and do, do likewise. There's another part of this, though. There's a second sub-point under this that I want to look at, and that is, that is that he is an example of serving his people. His people. Look at verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Did that, did that end surprise you at all? You know, I, th- I think we almost expect as we read verse 14 for it to end with, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash my feet. Doesn't it seem like it should end there, like this is some kind of divine transaction? You wash my feet, I wash your feet. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. See, part of what makes this true service for the Lord is this unexpected announcement that the target audience for the service is each other. The Lord is not doing this to bring something back to himself. Now, now this is where it gets a little hard. This is where it gets a little hard. Because it would have been so much easier if the Lord had said, and so turn and wash my feet. It would be so much easier to just serve the Lord. To just serve the Lord. To not have to worry about this business of serving one another, but just serve the Lord. And to be honest, a lot of believers opt for that approach to Christianity, which is why Christians don't join churches. It's why Christians don't get in small groups. It's why Christians don't serve in the local church. It's why Christians sometimes don't reach out to unbelievers or to people that are new. Because sometimes Christians just want to serve the Lord. They don't want this business with having to deal with the people in the church. They just want to serve the Lord. And let's be honest, that's completely understandable. I mean, after all, he's perfect. That helps, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be great to have the Lord in your small group? 
always loving, always kind, always wise, never a bad attitude, never says a stupid thing that offends anybody, never sins against you in any way. But he says, no, no, serve one another. And it's when we begin to serve one another that life really gets complicated. Because it's back in children's ministry, for instance, when we encounter folks who may not appreciate that we were back there during the entire service watching their bratty kids. That that we begin to realize the effect and the impact and the claim of the one another. Or it's leading a small group when you feel like you're actually leading the disciples who are doubting and denying and betraying. And that's on a good night. See, we love serving God. It's when we're dealing with Peter with his conversation-stopping pride. Or Thomas with his endless amount of questions. Or Judas who's not really about God at all. I mean, one of the most astonishing passages in this section is, is, is verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. Or verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him, and yet Jesus stoops before Judas, and he serves the betrayer as well. Do you see the point? They, they were all objects of Christ's service. Christ's desire to love meant that he stooped to serve. It meant that he stooped to serve all of his people with all of their baggage. He stooped to serve. Let me ask you a question. Where could you obey verse 14 and serve God's people today? Serve God's people even Sacrificially, verse 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What does that look like for you? You know, I heard this past week about the singles, a couple of single ladies actually down at the Midtown campus. They had an idea. They, they thought a great way to serve the married folks that are at the campus and, and the people that the married folks were reaching out to evangelistically was to provide free babysitting on, on Saturday night. So they wanted to provide that for parents and then for, for the kids of those that the parents might be reaching out to as well. So they opened up the building, and they opened it up to the parents and to their guests so that you could drop your kids off on a, on a Saturday night, on a Saturday night, so that some singles there would watch them for free, for free. You say, Dave, I never even thought of that. You mean we can exploit the singles for free babysitting? That's not the point. See, these are singles that have a vision to invest in the marriages in the church, which is a great thing. I mean, would to God that there was a growing vision among singles, to see the importance of married people having dates together and saying, that's where, I want to inv- that's where I want to wash feet, right there. And would to God that there was a growing vision of, 
of married folk and family that wanted to invest in singles, to invite them over, to share a meal, to fold them into the family, to wash their feet in certain ways, and all of it for free. Where could obeying verse 14 affect your life? Where could it make a claim on your life? Serving God's people sacrificially. In just a second, Paul's going to come up and he's going to walk us through this card and provide us an opportunity to apply this card. And, 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 And he's doing this so that we together as a church family can apply verse 17. We didn't read this, but look at verse 17. If you know these things, yes, good, blessed are you if you do them. So blessed are you, not if you simply know, but if you do. Knowing knowing something is important. It's an important step. But the blessing comes upon us, not from knowing, but from doing. So the question this morning is, are you doing it. And if the answer to that is no, that's okay, but will you do it? See, as we've already learned together, conversion creates desires for the glory of God. Conversion creates desires to obey God, but we must add application to our desires. So it's not enough to have a desire. We've got to want to apply what we're learning, apply what we're knowing, apply what we desire. You know, if you're a member and you're, you're part of Four Oaks, if you're a member of Four Oaks, part of be, being a member is serving within the church. We've got, we've got 600 members. I mean, if, if, if we do the math, it gets real simple. I mean, this, this list is wiped out by tomorrow morning. We can go on to other lists. We can begin thinking in whole new ways. Are we doing it? See, the greatest temptation in a moment like this is to kind of strip the radical edge from Christ's words, to eject his sacrificial example and to replace it with this idea of a consumer who only volunteers his or her time when it's convenient. Move away from the example of Jesus. Let's access the example of busy people in the Western world that have jobs and have responsibilities and can't possibly fit or manage another piece of serving into their lives. But you know what? Here's the problem. The Savior just won't let us do that. Because he reminds us that following him means preferring others, means giving up our time, means putting others first, means stooping and washing feet. It means verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Listen, there's nothing glorious about foot washing except in the eyes of of God. Because for God, it becomes a sign that we are following the Savior who loved us so much that he stooped to serve us, that he stooped to save us. And now it becomes our turn to follow his example. Let's pray.